I know your bulletin says uh, Isaiah chapter 31, but we're actually going to be in Luke chapter 13. We're going we're gonna to hold off Isaiah 31 and 32 for next week. Uh, it was quite an eventful week, and uh, just to give you a, a bit of an idea, uh, well, first of all, Luke 13, if you're wanting to get there, it's not in your bulletin, so if you want to use the Bible in a pew rack in front of you, it's on page 1,109. 1,109, 1109. If you, if you don't have a Bible uh, directly in pew rack in front of you, um, feel free to move around and grab one or pull one up on a, a tablet or device that you may have. However, I, I just encourage you to get God's Word open in front of you. But uh, I, I, I really hate to do this kind of thing where I audible or shift from what I'm going to do. Um, but uh, this week, as many of us are aware, uh, just kind of reveals our, uh, our, our limitations. And uh, if you are unaware, Patrick and I were gone, uh, were intended to be gone uh, Monday, Tuesday, and part of Wednesday for a pastor's retreat that, we, uh, that I, I've attended now for like seven years, uh, once a year, uh, third week of October with... Uh, like-minded fellow pastors from throughout New England. We go up to a retreat center in uh, New Hampshire, and uh, it's always one of the highlights of my uh, year getting to reconnect with those guys and uh, spend some time together. Uh, but our plan was to be at that and then come back Wednesday and then jump back into the rest of the week. Well, uh, the storm happened, and so uh, Tuesday, as I was watching the weather on my uh, phone, following the updates and everything, I looked at uh, <coughs> it's allergies, not COVID. Uh, uh, I, I looked up at Patrick and I said, hey, man, we need to, we need to cut out tonight. Uh, because the biggest reason that I made that decision was because one thing that's one of the highlights of the retreat is the Monday night and the Tuesday night, it always just happens to be, well, there's Monday night football. Uh, and then Tuesday night, the World Series is always on at the end of October. And I, after 11 years of having been a married man, concluded that I did not need to be out watching the World Series with other guys and on the phone trying to tell my wife how to get our generator running. Um, you know, not the smartest thing there for a, for a uh, healthy and, and vibrant marriage there. So I was like, Patrick, let's go ahead and head back, you know, before things get too severe. So we came back and um, it was a nice drive back. We got back about 11 or 11.30 Tuesday night. It was quite harrowing uh, from like Weymouth to here. Uh, uh, that, was, that was quite nerve-wracking. Um, as I was, I dropped Patrick off at the parsonage. Um, I said, "You'll be all right." There's, yeah, there's a lot of big trees right around here, but you'll be fine. Don't worry about it, buddy. Sleep well. Um, uh, I'm going to go sleep in my basement. Uh, uh, but that's not how it went. Patrick, clear, clear my name on that later, if you won't mind. Uh, it is actually kind of how it went. Um, but uh, as I was driving back from the parsonage back to our house, I was praying, and I was kind of praying uh, three, three Ps. Uh, Lord, I really don't want to lose power. Um, Lord, it'd be really nice if we didn't have any damage to our property, uh, both my own home, my family, as well as like church and our church property. And then, uh, Lord, I really, uh, of course, don't want to see any people uh, uh, 
harmed or, or hurt or injured or, or worse and that kind of thing. And so I was praying that, and then I struck. okay, Stephen, let's reorient the, pa- the prayer here uh, from starting at power to, okay, let's work back from more serious. So, so people, property, power. So, um, yeah, so I had, uh, my mother-in-law was in town. I had uh, called Amanda earlier that day, and I said, uh, thankfully, we have, a, we have a basement with a bed and bathroom in it and everything, and I, I told Amanda, I said, hey, I think you and your mom and Nick should probably sleep in the basement uh, Tuesday night. We have some pretty large trees around our house. And, and so I got there, and I was actually planning on still sleeping upstairs, uh, uh, you know, like, I don't know where I would have slept in a bed, I guess. Um, you know, you kind of tell yourself, oh, this part of the house is probably safer than here because the wind's blowing this way, and so a tree would probably hit over here, but maybe not as likely here. Uh, but I got, I got back into the house, I pulled in, and I uh, had to run down the driveway and onto the street to grab a trash can of ours that had blown away. And uh, that wind was something Tuesday night. It was harrowing. Uh, I think that's the third time I've used the word harrowing already this sermon. Um, and so I said, okay, I'm going to sleep in the basement too. Um, I don't want to be upstairs for this. So I went down in the basement and uh, slept on a couch and actually slept right beside Nick. He was in a little pack and play thing uh, beside me. And so I was like huddled up under the blanket, like not wanting the light of my cell phone to wake him up because then that would have been worse than even the storm. Um, but uh, I'm like watching the news and everything and thinking, oh, we, we, you know, may, maybe we won't lose power. Maybe we won't. And then like five minutes later, we lost power. So it's my fault. Um, that, that's the point of that. But anyway, so then there was the property stuff. Thankfully, our, our property avoided serious damage, but significant power loss, all of that. And it just knocked the week off. And so I started to just do some reflection uh, uh, and even just in conversations with other people in our church family, um, I think if I'm not mistaken, please forgive me if so, and I'm forgetting if, if that, that our church family by and large that I'm aware of did not suffer any significant damage to property or obviously person or anything like that. But, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of us that, uh, you know, a lot of folks remarked to me, this is the craziest storm I've ever seen around here. And, these are, these are folks saying this who have lived here for their whole lives or decades at least, and uh, just, just a, a, a significant, significant storm. So you take the combination of prolonged days-long power outages and uh, property cleanup and helping neighbors clean up and all that, and the week just got knocked off. So all that to say, uh, I, I, it, it really takes something like that for me to want to deviate away from what we're going to do on a Sunday, but I thought, okay, we'll, we'll do that this week. Um, but I wanted to share some reflections uh, just for us to consider, not in a sense of, oh my goodness, we, any of us thought we were in danger for our lives this week. That, that, not, not that kind of thing. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I have been, not here, but I've been through more crazy storms than that. Amanda and I both... Uh, uh, went through Hurricane Katrina. Amanda could tell you stories of her family being without power, not for two and a half days, but for almost a month. Um, there's, you know, we've seen catastrophe in that kind of regard. But it, I was struck by, and as I remembered, running down the street chasing a trash can while the wind gusts are 
going crazy in my neighborhood and, and all of that. And then just hearing the symphony of generators for the next few days. I was struck by the fact that so quickly uh, things can change. And events that are more powerful than us and more powerful than our capabilities uh, can kind of knock us off a little bit. So I want us to look at Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, very briefly. And I just want us to consider, how do I view or how do I understand when some kind of natural disaster strikes or some kind of event strikes that just throws me off, that that seems disorienting, at, at least in the sense of, I had a normal plan, normal routine I was going through, and now everything's been thrown to the side. I mean, it's quite stunning, right? Last Sunday, we were gathered in here for worship, and yeah, it seemed like there was going to be some kind of storm that came through this week, but none of us expected what did. It's quite stunning how quickly things can change. Well, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus gets asked by some people how they ought to understand some terrible events that have come upon others. So listen as I read Luke 13, 1 through 5. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Would you pray with me as we look at this? God, we ask your mercy upon us as we open up briefly to Luke chapter 13. God, be gracious to us. Help us to be reminded of our fragility, of the brevity of life, of the fact that we don't have everything under control, and yet help us to hope in and take refuge in the literal or the metaphorical storm. Help us to take refuge in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Luke 13, Jesus has been asked by some people about atrocities or, or, tra- or tragedies that had happened. And he'd asked, been asked basically, hey, who's to blame in this? I don't know if you remember, I referenced Hurricane Katrina earlier. I remember there were a few, um, uh, uh, I don't know what you could, televangelists or, or uh, uh, people who tried to say that after Katrina hit New Orleans, that, oh, well, this is clearly a sign of God's judgment upon these people. And, uh, uh, you know, you think of New Orleans, you think of the debauchery of Mardi Gras, you think of uh, 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 rampant sexual sin, you think of all sorts of, of, of just licentiousness, and, and you think of all these things, and you think, well, okay, God, God must be judging them. And maybe in the storm this week, maybe you thought something like this, or maybe you didn't, or maybe at least while you're praying in the midst of the storm, and you maybe have that big old tree in your, in your yard that you've been known you needed to give attention to for a while, and you're praying, oh, Lord, please don't cause that tree to fall on my house. Lord, I, I, and you, you kind of, you say you don't believe in, like, 
karma or that kind of thing. But you, you kind of start to, in the moment, start to try to cash in those checks. And what Jesus says here is, no, that's not how to look at it at all. Your neighbor, your friend who's diagnosed with a terrible disease or your, your, your loved one who faces some kind of tragedy that's come upon them, don't immediately assume that it's due to some kind of evil that they have committed or they got their comeuppance. Fact of the matter is, is in the midst of Katrina, whenever we heard time and again that, oh, this is God's judgment upon New Orleans, it's, it was striking because the French Quarter and Bourbon Street and all of that part of the city actually fared better than every other part of the city. So either it was God's judgment, he's just terrible in, in his aim, or it's a really simplistic, reductionistic inaccurate view of things. And so this is what Jesus gets out here as he speaks of evil that happens at the hands of men and then tragedy that happens by virtue of living in a fallen world. So he, he's asked about two instances. There's Galileans who their blood, Pilate had killed them. Pilate, the Roman uh, authority, had, had they had been killed and, and in, in some kind of cruel twist, Pilate had mingled their blood with sacrifices. So Jesus says, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then the second instance here is not some horrible atrocity at the hands of men, but just a natural disaster. Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all those who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So people murdered at the hands of Pilate and people who innocently are going about their business and this big tower fell and collapsed and killed them. So how do we understand when our world gets turned upside down? whether from a falling tower or falling trees in the midst of a brutal nor'easter. How can we, let me say it like this, how can we approach something like this in a redemptive manner and understand it in light of the God we worship day by day, Sunday by Sunday? Well, first, I think it's important for us to see our smallness, to consider how little we actually have that is under our control. We cannot control the wind. We cannot control the rain. We cannot control or we cannot tell the trees, okay, fall over here or not over here. It's not like we're, we're uh, ground uh, support or something for an airplane that's landing. We're trying to veer it one way or another. You stand out in the middle of the storm. You stand out in the middle of the wind and you hear it raging And you realize how small you are. It's possible this kind of thing is a fresh reminder of it. Or maybe you've been through enough of these. Or maybe you've gone through enough storms in your life, like I said, literally or metaphorically, that, that you've constantly been reminded how small you are and how little control you have. Jesus says, okay, don't beat yourself up over this. There's a purpose for us seeing and understanding these things. But maybe the point that you need to see this week, maybe there's some of us here who needed to be reminded 
that we don't have near the level of control that we think we do. Welcome God's humbling grace and allowing yourself to be scared of terrifying winds. But if we're going to see our smallness, we must also see God's greatness. We must also see God's greatness. There's a danger that we face in any kind of disaster that comes about where we either say, okay, this is God's judgment upon these people or this situation or this circumstance because it clearly deserved it. Or we say, oh, well, God, you know, God would not have wanted this. God would not, God, God, God really wished this didn't happen. His hands were tied. Uh, he was off duty, you know, that kind of, th- where, where we don't really know what to do with God. We either seem to make him vindictive in bringing about such events, or we make him uh, 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 unable or uh, unable to be able to address or to handle such things. But the truth that the Bible gives us is something that is different. The Bible shows us a God who is sovereign over his creation. We're reminded in Scripture that the mountains have not risen one millimeter higher than God has set and ordained. Did you know that Mount Everest, some 27,000 feet in the, up into the sky, is not one millimeter higher or lower than God has sovereignly ordained? The Mariana Trench out in the Pacific Ocean, some, I think, 30-something thousand feet below the surface, does not go one millimeter lower than God has ordained. However many inches of rain that we got, I think 2.9 or something like that, was exactly the number that God has ordained. I remember in the winter of, what was it, 2015, when we got snow on top of snow on top of snow on top of snow, not one snowflake fell outside of the scope of God's sovereignty. So, what do we do with that? We seem to be left with a problem here where we have our smallness, God's greatness, and we have to navigate a lot of bad things that happen while Stephen's telling me, don't blame God or don't hold God responsible for that. What do I do with that? Well, we would be left at a conundrum that we could not untie. We'd be left with a knot that was impossible for us to undo if not for the gospel. And here's what I mean. If we step back and we try to make this all about karma, as if the people of Cohasset and Situate were particularly evil or particularly deserving of a terrible nor'easter, as other people weren't, or if we make this about God being unable or, or, or un, un, unwilling to alleviate the desires or, or, or alleviate the, the hardships that we were walking through, if we leave ourselves in either of these, then we leave ourselves lacking intellectually, emotionally, experientially, all of these things. But I think where... where where we begin to understand and begin to be able to situate ourselves in a position not just of understanding, but a position of hope, is in setting our eyes on the gospel. And here's what I mean. The same Jesus who says, you know, the, the people that the tower fell on them, do not worry, or, 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 or don't you think that they were worse than other people? He also says, but 
you understand, repent or you too will perish. He's diagnosing our world where disaster and hardship and tragedy seems to lurk around every corner. But he doesn't diagnose this coolly or in a detached manner. The same Jesus who says this is the Jesus who, in his full authority, submitted himself to a cruel and unjust and even evil death at the hands of those who would seek his destruction. And further, not just the Romans or the Jews who would accuse him of being a blasphemer. Both of these true, those who were humanly responsible for his death. But God the Father, who in this covenant of love, this covenant of redemption between Father, Son, and Spirit, they orchestrated this plan out of the love of God for His glory to be made known amongst His people and for His glory to be enjoyed by those of us who have sought refuge from the storm of our sin in the shadow of Christ's cross. You see, it is hard for us to charge God with injustice when it is the same God who has died unjustly for us. Let me say that again. It is hard for us to charge God with injustice when it is the same God who has died, in one sense, unjustly for us. So I think the gospel, Christ who has entered into the storm and literally entered into the storm. We remember instances of Jesus walking on water and calming storms. Christ who has entered into the storm helps us to understand how we ought to look at our circumstances in the midst of the storm. See, the gospel reveals the fallenness of creation, but also the hope for healing in these things. It's easier to talk about these things after a terrible storm has passed. But did you know that the winds that were howling through your trees, across your property, or knocking down trees left and right, those were crying out to the fact that creation is not the way that it was created to be, not the way that it was intended to be. Romans chapter 8 tells us that all of creation is groaning for its redemption. It's not the same on the same scale, but maybe you're stumped, maybe you're slow getting out of the house this morning, slow getting up from bed, and so maybe you didn't get breakfast this morning, and maybe even now your stomach is groaning in anticipation of lunch or brunch. The storm raging, the blizzard striking, is creation groaning for its redemption. And the gospel speaks of this in the fact that Jesus Christ in his death, but also in his resurrection, when he walked out of a tomb, he not only was like, oh, I got one over death, I'm victorious, but this was actually the first steps in a whole new creation. 
Do you recognize that? It was the first steps in a creation where death no longer has the final say or the ultimate say. It's the first steps in what he promises where he is undoing slowly but surely the sin and its effects and its curse upon the world. This is why at Christmas we sing joy to the world, joy to the world. And what's the familiar refrain? Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming of Christ to inaugurate, to bring a joy that is washing over this creation. Sometimes you might think it's washing over slowly, but undoubtedly it is washing over his creation and turning sorrow to joy. And so, the creation groaned this week. But we who are in Christ, we hear that groaning. And we pray for protection in the midst of the groaning of the winds and the rains. But we can, according to Luke 13, we can rejoice that for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who have trusted in Christ for forgiveness of sins and believed in Him as our hope for new life, we can thank Him that our souls are not groaning, but our souls are actually tasting of that first fruit of that new creation. And eventually, as the gospel continues to spread and as Christ one day, Lord willing, will return as promised for His church and inaugurate a new creation, we have the promise that the same power of God where he created everything in Genesis will recreate everything and usher in a new heavens and a new earth where God will reign. And there will be no wind that knocks leaves off branches. There will no, be no wind or rain that causes floods. There will be perfect bliss and gladness in the presence of our God. Because taking it from an entirely biblically, theologically based picture, all of us, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve who were cast out of the garden with God because of their sin, we will be brought back into the garden through Christ. That garden of perfect presence of God. This garden that will extend to the ends of the earth. So we see our smallness, we see God's greatness, we see the centrality of the gospel, and it helps us to understand these things, understanding God is not distant or detached, but God is actually present and near. And I just want to say, if, if, if you are not a Christian, and you don't know what to make of this, may I just encourage you to hear Jesus in Luke 13, 1 through 5. Hear Jesus and consider whether or not these words of his have weight, have claim over you. Maybe you've heard a lot of bad news lately. Maybe you've, you've seen a lot of evil in the world. You don't know what's happening in the world. And yet, mysteriously, by God's mercy, you're here. And largely, you're okay. 
hear the call from Jesus before it is too late. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Hear the call from him. And may your soul be brought out of the storm and into him. So the gospel helps us to understand these things. But things like this this week also help us to have opportunity, just briefly, to love our neighbors, to speak the hope of the gospel to those who were picking up branches beside, to those who were helping dig out. And it also helps us to be recalibrated with hope in God. It is good to have our foundation shaken from time to time because the nature of our human flesh is we continually try to reestablish our foundations in a world of shifting sand. So may we leave this week reminded of these words of Jesus and of the hope of the gospel and of the presence and the nearness that he is for us in the midst of the storm knowing this because he came and endured the storm that was due to our sins. And may we leave with a resolve to rejoice in our Lord Jesus, not just because he is our protector, but because he is our Lord and because he has entered into the storm with us. You know, we sing a number of older hymns here in our church, and it was pointed out to me this week that one difference you'll see sometimes between older hymns and newer songs, newer hymns, not that there's anything wrong with newer songs or hymns, but a lot of older hymns were written in times where medicine wasn't as advanced, where life expectancies were lower, where the prospect and the reality of death and loss and grief was just more evident and more part of the normal human experience. And It was pointed out to me that with that in mind, this is why I want you to notice this from now on as we sing older hymns, and maybe we'll see it in some newer hymns as well. So often their last verse ends with hope in heaven. And so may this week, now that we are on this side of, and it's easy to say it on this side of the storm, right? Power's back on. I don't know about you, my internet and cable's still a little hit or miss, but... Uh, power's back on, the property's kind of cleaned up for some of us. Sorry if that's not the case for you yet. Um, You'll get there soon. Uh, But for those of us who are on this side of the storm, it's good for us to be reminded of the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus. So my friends, Let us resolve as we prepare to close that our Lord Jesus is with us in the midst of the storm. And what we're about to do in taking the Lord's Supper is a reminder of that yet again. So would you pray with me? God, we we pray and we ask your mercy to trust in the risen Lord Jesus. And so may our hearts consider the events of this week, the inconveniences or the frustrations, the disappointments, the schedules thrown upside down, 
And may we trust in our Lord Jesus, who is victorious over sin and death. And may we entrust our souls to him and recognize that as our souls are safe in him, that we can entrust our day-to-day with him in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hopefully you're able to receive the elements here, the juice and the cup for the Lord's Supper. I find this to be quite appropriate. We normally take the Lord's Supper the last Sunday of the month, and it's appropriate today because it is a supper that ought to stir us to both look backwards and look forwards. And we look backwards at Jesus' death on the cross, and we look forward to his return and, and our presence with him. But it only helps us to look backwards and look forwards if we first look honestly at ourselves and of our need for him. So, may we pause and reflect upon our own sin against our holy God. May we reflect upon the depth and the gravity of our rebellion against our Creator even to the point where we don't understand how it all works, but we recognize that the rebellion and the sin of mankind is so strong that a byproduct of it is 98-mile-an-hour wind gusts and crashing trees and flooded basements. Yet, may we look upon Christ and His gospel in a manner whereby we know that 98 mile an hour winds and crashing trees and flooded basements is not God's direct judgment upon us, His people. It is a symptom, but a symptom of a virus that we have already had cured and is just working itself out of our system. For the storm that we did deserve the judgment of God upon our transgressions against him and our sinful rebellion against him was endured by Christ himself whose body and blood was broken and shed for us. So I encourage you to first take the bread and open it on one side. The Apostle Paul, in instructing the church in taking the Lord's Supper, wrote that Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now take the juice. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And now hear this, For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For us who are in Christ, we're one week closer. We made it through one more storm, one less storm on the horizon until we enter that blessed place of no more, sno- no more storms, no more sorrows, no more sadness, 
no more sin. So let us drink this reminder of Christ's body broken, his blood shed. Let us drink in anticipation of that new covenant, that feast we will share in his presence one day. Let's pray and then we'll conclude with one last song. God, we give to you praise. And though we recount and we talk about a storm of this week, we are mindful of a storm of far greater significance. When a world was darkened in the middle of a day, and it was darkened as a crucified Savior bore the sins of his people, that he might be their redemption, that he might be their life, that he might be their Lord. We give praise to our Lord, our Savior, our King. We say all glory be to Christ in this life and in the life to come. Amen.